0: hello 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 beautiful people welcome to pretty wild podcast i am your host shantika latrice i want you guys to sit back enjoy yourself this is going to be a solid 45 minute experience. Okay. All right. So we are um, releasing this episode on a Friday instead of a Sunday. I wanted to get this out before the year end or the physical year end. Those that know me know what I mean by that. Um, And I want you to actually enjoy I mean, simple as that, um sit back, enjoy, soak up the wisdom, the um information that you probably didn't know a lot about and um, if you have any questions, of course, you can always leave comments, ask questions um for those, my patreon people, my lovely butterflies and caterpillars, my dawns and high noons, um you can actually see the video version of this podcast on my Patreon. Laura Secord earned her MFA in creative writing from Sierra Nevada College. As Mojo Mama, she has been a part of the Birmingham Spoken Word community for decades. Her novel in verse, An Art, A Craft, A Mystery, is forthcoming from Livingston Press, um, scheduled to be released in February of 2021. The link is available in the bio. She is a pushcart nominee. Her poems have appeared in multiple magazines, the Birmingham Weekly, Arts and Understanding, the Southern Women's Review, Passenger, Indolent Books, Burning House Press, Finishing Line Press, and Kahootling Noodling. She is the co-editor of the Birmingham's Sister City Spoken Word Collective Anthology Voices of Resistance. She also currently serves on the board of directors for the Magic City Poetry Festival. Through her lifelong commitment to women and the underrepresented, it is a privilege and an honor to welcome Mojo Mama Laura Secure to Pretty Wild Podcast welcome
1: thank you shantika i'm looking forward to being pretty wild
0: (laughs) which is why you (laughs) are one of my
1: guests
0: (laughs) exactly this is going to be a very very pretty wild experience so let's go ahead and get started um as we were speaking before the actual interview started, I want you to go ahead and share with people how you actually got started on the poetry scene here in Birmingham.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I began doing spoken word poetry in Birmingham about 1992-1993. Um, I was at that point I was working on a novel. And I would write some poetry when I couldn't get anything written on my novel. Uh, so I just kind of wrote poetry as a side. And I love to go at that point in time about the only place you could go to read your work was at Barnes & Noble in Hoover. They had a, um, a spoken word event and I would go down there and read parts of my novel. And I really loved the performing and reading out loud part, but I realized that, you know, your novel is just too much to be reading at a spoken word event. And suddenly I started going crazy with poetry. Um, and about that time, we began to have slams in Birmingham. The first slams in Birmingham, this was about 96, 97, took place at a pizza place on Southside um Rocky's Pizza was where it was okay and it was um it was hosted by Matt Lane Craig Leg, and Hunter Bell and I thought well I'm gonna go do this and I I didn't of course you know I didn't win that really bothered me I'm very I'm in I act like I'm not competitive but truthfully I can't I can't lie I'm have a competitive spirit and I didn't win, but I got to hear a lot of fabulous people. Um, but I was also, I, there were fabulous people, but I did not, there were a lot of things I didn't like. And mainly I didn't like how um, misogynist it seemed. There was so much poetry with anger towards women. And it very much um, turned me off. Now, I did hear, the one person I found there that I really loved that I discovered was Mimi Latuan okay she read a killer poem that knocked me out very sexy and it kind of opened my mind to hey you don't have to be all good you can kind of write something sexy if you want to and so that excited me but i did not like the very male focus of Mm. slam in birmingham right at that time um, i started traveling around the southeast doing my poetry in other locales because i didn't like the slam So I would go many weekends, I would drive to Atlanta and do Friday nights, I would do Karis books, which was um, women only uh, reading. And then I would spend the night in Atlanta and I'd drive to Asheville the next night and do Malaprops books, which was a women's open mic, but men could attend, but they couldn't read. And then after doing that for six months or so every month, I um, thought, I was asked by Lodestar Books, which was still here then, that was a women's bookstore in Birmingham in the 90s, if I would MC a women's open mic there. Okay. okay. And I decided to kind of combine Malaprops and Keras um, Books and have women only read, men can, uh, men can come and listen, and twice a year on um, Earth Day and for Pride, I would invite men to share. And I did that from 1997 to 2001, once a month, uh, emceed that. And in 2001, after um, the Twin Towers and all that mess, people started stopped coming to things. And I kind of got to the point where I thought, you know, I have to really work myself up. I do all this PR, and I put all these flyers up, and I send out emails. And then I'm really fired. I have to be really fired up to be an MC, as anybody that's MC knows. You got to be real positive and upbeat. Mm-hmm. And then nobody comes, and it was letting me down. And I finally decided to let go of. Um, I called it my sister's translation, and mm-hmm. I so I I kind of let my sister's translation go at that time. Um, and so that was the beginning of spoken word here in Birmingham that I was involved in. I never really got back into the slam scene very much. Even though I would attend Bards and Brews and I would discover wonderful people that I really liked, I didn't perform much in slam. Um, I'm too competitive to lose, so I just didn't do it. I just created something where there weren't any winners or losers. But I got to discover tons and tons of great poets uh, around Birmingham through that experience. That I, and so that's where I am. With that.
0: Okay. You mentioned how poetry slam you felt was laced with misogyny is mostly masculine. It carries heavy masculine energy, regardless of um, who's delivering it. Do you feel like that male centered energy with poetry caused a lot of people to not be interested in supporting poetry slams?
1: You know, I don't know. It's what affected me and it's why I created, I tried to create something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, and the canon is male.
0: Right, then, right, you know, it we're is.
1: going back in for <laughs> centuries of right. poetry being claimed by men, even mm-hmm. if the original poets, the oral historians of long ago were probably female, Right. The patriarchal culture um, grabbed the canon and pretended it was theirs.
0: It was theirs, right.
1: And, you know, of course it really isn't, but I just, my approach at that age, which, you know, I was, I was much younger than, I mean, in the mid nineties, and my approach was just create something else and don't, you know, be hostile towards poetry slam because I do believe that it gave a great voice to a lot of people who needed to express themselves And I think it has brought spoken word to a forefront where it didn't exist before. So I think it's done a lot of wonderful things. And I do think there are some poetry slam scenes that probably aren't as misogynistic as they were in the 90s. But I I don't go to them that often to really be able to speak about them now. what poetry slams are like now. Say my whole thing was, let's create a different way to hear women's voices. And I think the concept of slam being competitive and judging and giving points to people, that's already very masculine to me. You know, ha- why does it have to be a contest? Why do you have to be judged by somebody who's just had six drinks, that whole thing, you know? Um, and back then, it, um, at Rocky's Pizza, you could drink all the beer you wanted. It wasn't Bards and Bruce where you got two little tiny- Right,
0: two little tiny drinks.
1: Right. <laughs> this was people that were pretty drunk judging you. And I just thought, you know, I wanted women's voices to be heard. I wanted women to feel like they could express themselves and their stories and their work without judgment. I thought that was very important, more important than a contest and so I just, I looked at what other people were doing in other states and tried to kind of recreate that here. I didn't want to just, it, not include men either, because I felt like there was a need in the poetry scene to hear the voices of women. Right. And if I denied men entrance, then they would never get to hear the incredible things that women were ha- having to write and share and the great performances of women. So that's, how i've approached things when i don't like how things are instead of trying to change them just create something else that you like better you know okay. and that's been kind of my thing after that about um i started doing some other things with women including back in 2010 starting um along with uh nico linda Grimm, i started um my sister's uh, the sister city connection. city connection. See, I kept using sister all the time. Mm-hmm. Translation, right? And I we started um, the sister city connection, which gave incredible women poets a chance to perform and get attention on stage, which is really all I wanted. And I would attend events like. Also, I really found a lot of incredible people at the museum. Which I, now, what was the name of that? Um, at the art museum. That's where I saw you first.
0: Is it the one that um,
1: that uh, Sharif, Sharif
0: was hosting? Okay. Um, I can't remember the name of that. Uh, event, you,
1: know, you know what I'm talking about. But I know about. what you're talking because about. I yes. saw you that night. Oh. And, I had, and I was like so knocked out by you. And I would keep lists of poets I'd see that just knocked me out. And then I would say, let me find an opportunity for these people. Mm-hmm. People need to hear them. And you knocked me out because you came up so quiet looking like you were nervous. You'd take a deep breath and then like fire would come out of you. <laughs> so much power. I was so knocked out by you. And I participated in the um, women gather at um, the B- Birmingham civil rights Institute. I was, uh, I was asked mm-hmm. to participate in that. So I would find people that I was crazy about through those, um, those events. And I would I would keep in my back mind, who these are the people I'd like to do something with in the future. And now I'm with the Magic That's City right. Poetry Festival. So
0: what opportunities do you feel we have in the city that we didn't have the cultural scene that we have here? What opportunities do you feel like we, we have space to create for women in well, addition to what we already have?
1: I, you know, I think things are much better now than they were 25 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There, you know, 25 years ago there was slam, and then there was academics. And academics, the universities would bring a famous poet in to read and mm-hmm. have a question and answer session. Um, and there were the things that students were doing in school. I wasn't really part of that academic scene at all. And there was, I think, a very kind of at one point, I feel like there was a bit of a racial racial divide, too. There were events, mainly black poets. There were events, mainly white poets. And it wasn't there wasn't really a mix. Slam a little bit. Slam was, slam was about the only time. But then it was a little misogynist. So, you know, it, I, I don't know how comfortable I'd be as a woman to come in and hear people saying some of the terrible things I've heard poets say about women at a slam i i'm a i tend to not write long i mean i write some long poems Mm -hmm. but my one thing about slam is that 2.9 minute time limit right people try to squeeze that as much as they can in 2.9 minutes often going real fast because they want to not go over time but i don't write that kind of poetry Mm -hmm. so um i i've I didn't ever I felt like there needed to be more variety, but I also just the thing I really wanted to do with sister city connection was bring the women from the various cultural communities together right so that we could hear each other so that we could understand each other, so that we could celebrate the great power that the women in this community have. And there would be a connection that we would understand each other better. I mean, those were things I really wanted to accomplish. And I feel like a little bit, I was able to do that. And now the Magic City Poetry Festival is continuing that tradition. Um, but we've brought in younger poets. You know, there's more, there's a lot, I am so impressed With the younger poets in our community, you know Ashley Jones. She and I are, you know, two different generations, Mm -hmm. but um, we share that sense of wanting to bring the community together. Um, Another venue that I offered, that I participated in, was a hundred thousand poets for change, which is in our. I guess we did our fourth year, maybe our fifth year this past year, but we did it on Zoom, but 100,000 Poets for Change is an international poetry event that's done on the same day in September all over the world, and every um, reading that's offered, money is raised for a local social justice organization, and the focus of the poetry is on social justice issues, Um, and we had our, I think it was our first one, which we had probably like 20 poets performing at. Um, was about a four-hour event. And the things Mm -hmm. I heard, and people really addressed the issues that concerned them. You know, people talked about race. People talked about um, misogyny. They talked about rape. They talked about the damage to women. They also talked about the damage to men. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing when that was over and the people I talked to, it was like, the white people there were like, oh my God, I'm going to have to process what I've just learned. I never understood what these folks were going through. Oh and from the black people that were there, I heard, I feel so healed. I was able to say and talk about what was going on in my, in my experience with people that never heard this before, felt accepted. And so, you know, that to me I just felt so uplifted after that event because we were able to not just bring the communities together, but bring them together and have them hear and listen and speak voices that probably hadn't crossed that divide very much in the city.
0: That's a niche for you, especially as I participated and experienced you so much in Sister City Connection. And I've always felt like that was, the uplifting part of the experience, not the sharing, but getting to meet someone I would probably normally never meet.
1: And, you know, to me that I'm not a Birmingham girl. Right. Exactly. I grew up, (laughs) I I moved here from Berkeley, California back in the seventies and uh, came here and thought, Whoa, (laughs) Uh, how am I ever going (laughs) to accomplish anything with these People, you know, the white people mm-hmm. just like, what is up with you? And really my closest connections, I was working in a nursing home back then. I was a nursing assistant. And my closest connections at the nursing home were the black women that I met. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt a I felt a connection that I didn't feel that much. And As I, as things built in me over time, I just really felt like I knew some great people in both communities and how can we ever get together? Why are we separate in Mm -hmm. the arts? You know, I understand why we're separate in a lot of other
0: places. Places, Can't
1: the arts be the bridge community? And I think that that is happening. I really think it's changed. Um, I think a lot of different groups, Bards and Brews, um, the event that used to be BMA Speaks. That's what it was called at the... Arch- oh, that's
0: Festival. right. BMA After Speaks. That yes. uh
1: reef ran. I think the Sister City Connection and I think now the Magic City Poetry Festival all have done something to cross that bridge. And I also didn't mention, but I should, that down in Montevallo, uh, Kirk and Jerry Hardesty have run a slam years. Mm-hmm. And they have brought so many young people from both sides of the culture from, from both races, from different ages. They've brought those people together too. So I want to commend them too because they are also people that have, have made that happen and brought people together. Okay. And I think with um, 100,000 Poets for Change that kind of began the launch into the Magic City Poetry Festival, also we crossed ages because we had Ashley who was in her 20s, Alina, uh, Stefanescu, who was in her 30s, Me in my 50s, and we were able to bring these age groups together too, which is something that doesn't happen. And we had academic poets and spoken word poets. So we also crossed the, the academic bridge a little bit, which is a hard bridge to cross. Well, yes,
0: because it's, I still feel like there's a divide. The academic poets are over here, and then the non academics are over here. That's been a personal thing with me. Um, and the art is the education, and I feel like your experience, the art of experience is also what what puts you on a stage, and I feel like that divide kind of sort of hinders what an art scene and culture scene can become when when we don't take into account the same considerations for non-academics that we do as academics, so that is also an internal struggle that I deal with also because when I'm invited to places, they are asking um, to send a bio, and my bio never has my education on there because I was doing this before I got the credentials.
1: And you know, <laughs> both of both of us had years and years of spoken word before we before exactly, academics.
0: exactly.
1: And you know, it's such a mix. Even mm-hmm. now. I mean, I feel like I got something really good from my academic experience, but I also feel like I I finished a MFA uh, five years ago and I feel like still like there was also something that was stifled in me. You know, and um, in in the academic world that was something that kind of got a little bit pushed down and it's, it's taken these years to years to come back, back
0: up. up. Right. right. Um,
1: so it's, you know, and I, I value what I got from it though. I mean, I, because I learned, especially in terms of poetry, I learned things that I had not, I did not know how to do before. And I also had a good mentor that kind of called me on when I chicken out which no one had called me on that before. Which is, and I- got up to the edge and then you gave up. (laughs) You know? Right, um... Right. I agree. Well, it was, you know, I mentored under Patricia Smith, who also Mm -hmm. was a spoken word slam artist who got an MFA. And I feel like that was very valuable to me. Also, she knew, she really knew meter and form, which I never, I used to look down on, okay? But I kind of observed her career because I had followed her a little bit as a slam poet. And then I saw what happened to her work when she finished her MFA. And part of the reason she got an MFA is she wanted to learn, meter, and form. And that was part of the reason I wanted to work with her. Also the college I went to was uh, Sierra Nevada College. And it was kind of a, has it was a fresh new MFA program that kind of was focused on, poetry out of the real world. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and they, they, although they were academic, they were not so heavily academic that they weren't focused on real life experience and real world experience. Right. So it wasn't a, and it was very small. So you got a lot of attention, which was okay.
0: <laughs> All right, so now, now that we're on in the vein of academia, you currently are in the process of blessing the world with a collection is it it's novel verse right Right.
1: the novel and verse and the interesting thing is I never did this in school I had started this book way before I went to school and I wasn't really planning to work on it again I had kind of like put it aside it is a verse novel um, that start. I found out about these characters because my husband's a genealogist, and one day he came to me and said, "Your, uh, you know, 14th great grandmother was um, convicted of witchcraft in Connecticut in the 1600s." And I thought, well, I guess I better write. I got to write about that one. But I also thought, oh my God, I hate the Puritans. <laughs> <laughs> and i really don't want to write about them right i was lucky to have have this really um kind of multi um focused historian that's my Mm -hmm. partner and he first thing he gave me to read was an anthropological work in fact the first two books he gave me were anthropological works about um one book was called 1491 and it's about um the americas before they were settled. And so okay. it really, especially the part about Northern New England and the lives of the indigenous people. The
0: indigenous like, people, right.
1: Was very important to me. And then he gave me a book, an anthropological book based on a dig of the, um, what am I having, of um, the colony Plymouth Plantation. And based on what they discovered in their digs, which were very different than what we have been told in school about mm-hmm. the Puritans and how the culture was much different than you know these goody goodies who were so kind to the Indians and everything so i so he kind of led me on that and i worked on this i did tons of research and i had written pretty much the whole thing but i'd put it aside and then 2016 came and the hatred of women that Mm -hmm. was being expressed in the in the election and the new administration yes And it came to my mind that you've got to go back and work on that book now. So I came back to it with no input from my NMFA teachers, but what they taught me, because they'd never seen it, what they taught me about going deeper and not chickening out and taught me about form and meter, I spent a couple years with the revision. And I'm really proud of it now. I mean, I really think I've gone deeper. And I think that I've um, using what I discovered with what I had learned about form and meter. I had a poem that just wasn't going anywhere. And I applied one of those principles to the poem because I was so focused on doing the meter purpose or I was so focused on following the form perfectly, something magical happened. You know, I, where I was so stuck in how that poem had looked all this time, um, because I was focused on the meter instead, I had, and I was so con- concentrated on like, let me have the beats right. Let me have the, the meter right. When I finished it, it was like, wow, these magical things happened that came up out of my unconscious. While I was, my ego was focused on the form, Ooh. my unconscious, was rising up and putting magic in that wasn't there before. So, I very much appreciate what I got from my education. These skills that I had, plus I went much deeper with the emotions than I had been before, and I feel like I've created a much better work than I had
0: originally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, well, obviously you have because it's in the process. Somebody of being took published. it. <laughs> exactly, somebody <laughs> took it.
1: Which you never feel like it's going to happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right so let's um so do you have a tentative date of when the
1: book is scheduled to come out it's supposed to come out in fall in the fall okay but i think that you know I've, i'm thinking it's getting the date is getting put back a little bit because the pandemic has really slowed mm-hmm. everybody yeah so it may okay. come out not come out until winter i don't know quite yet um the original was it's coming out in fall and there's been some hemming and hawing because I think the pandemic has just put a damper on a lot of things, dresses. yeah. But I am uh, in. I am working hard to do the promotion. Whether whenever, whether
0: it's exactly whenever yeah. it comes out.
1: So I have could, you plan um, for that? So
0: how are you also submitting to other journals outside of your current published um, current book, tentatively?
1: Well, I've been trying published. to submit the poems from the book to journals. Okay. Finally I'm starting to get some acceptances. Okay. That's good. Um, but I'm all, I've also submitted some stuff to that I that I did not write, more current stuff. And I really you know the pandemic just for a long time it made me feel completely wordless. Ooh. You know, I was I focused on doing things with my hands instead of writing. But if called upon, now, one of the things the Magic City Poetry Festival did this y- last year, um, really not because of the pandemic, but because of the um, racial justice movement related to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, we had a movement where we wrote poetry for people if they made a contribution, either of oh, yeah, money or called? time. What was that
0: called? I remember that. Um, I wrote a poem for somebody. I yeah. hate that I can't remember stuff. Well, like it's okay. That.
1: I'm not remembering <laughs> so <who is> right <laughs> now. But um we I was when I was asked to write a poem for someone else, mm-hmm. I was oh, able to write a poem. you know, I was able to do it. So I wrote some really nice poems for um for my um poems as a gift. Mm-hmm. And thanks. I wrote some nice poems for that. I wrote a poem, um called uh, Bringing the Monument Down. After okay. watching, I watched the live stream of the, um, the Birmingham um, Confederate Daughters Monument coming down. And I watched the live stream and I was very moved because there were only a couple people there. And um, the young man that actually loosened it was the only black man I saw in the dark With just a great big flatbed truck and probably about five or six people. I turned into the live stream right as they were loosening the cap. Mm. And I was so moved by this young black man who was the guy that actually hit the hammer against the edge of the cap and loosened it. And then stood there and helped guide it down to the flatbed. No one else was there. There was nobody to celebrate or cheer. It was just him. But when it got on, when it came down, you know, he just did into the air. And it was so moving to me that here, this worker is like the person that did this Mm -hmm. and no one is there to celebrate what he just accomplished. It was like beautiful and heartbreaking. At the same time, so I did write a poem about that, and that got accepted in and for an anthology that's going to come out with um, William Barber and the uh, Poor People's Movement. They're going to have an anthology fundraiser, and um, that got accepted for that. So that was very nice. Um, but you know, the, I haven't, I have had, I feel like I've been kind of blocked. I probably have a whole bunch of poems in all my notebooks that I haven't looked in. Right but I haven't had that many poems that I've worked on to fruition in the last year. Okay. And I, sh- I've, now I'm taking, I've decided to sign up for a little class because that always kicks your butt, you know, when you're taking a little class
0: and you're taking and a class. Time. Yeah. I, so um... I, I
1: signed up for Tina Brazil's class at art play. It wasn't, it wasn't really expensive and I've written a poem a week for that. So that's been good just to kind of get off my, Stuck position that I felt. I call it pandemic paralysis. Mm. That's a
0: nice poem.
1: Yeah. So I've written a few poems in the last year, but not. You know, I've kind of focused on this project, and I focused on doing things like stripping and staining my my back steps, Mm -hmm. and making bread, and planting my garden, and things where I did my use my hands and. Uh, embroidery and stuff where I wasn't using words at all it felt like I just needed to be in a wordless state
0: but I did see you post a couple of pictures of like um, your garden I just absolutely love
1: well you know I've not I'm like would not call myself a successful gardener mm-hmm. this year I always try <laughs> you know I, this was the first year and I've been I've been planting gardens out here. I've lived in this house for 40 years. I just have a regular size lot that would be a city lot size, not huge or anything, but I've been planning for years. I have never, ever had success with tomatoes until the pandemic. Mm. And this past year I got so many tomatoes. I didn't know what to do. I don't know what I, I really, last spring, I really felt like nature had thanked us for, not torturing her for a change. And I was being given a gift of these incredible tomatoes. I had a sunflower that was probably 20 feet tall. I had cr- crazy um, but you know, never gave any seed. I mean, it had a whole head. And when I cut the head down, there was not a single seed in the seed pot. Every one of them was empty. It was very weird. Um, I had a strange um volunteer. I never planted that sunflower either. It came up as a volunteer. I had a very strange, gigantic butternut squash plant that I never planted and got one huge butternut squash, no more, but I got lots of tomatoes, which was exciting. And I just felt like nature just is being kind to me this year because you couldn't do, I could never have success. And this year I had success. So, and this spring is here and this spring is making me very uh, emotional not, you know, last year I thought, oh, this is exciting. We're being good to nature. Spring is wonderful and things are happening. And this year I look at these trees blooming and I kind of get choked up because here's the second spring that we're doing this. You know, and it's, it's, it's such a mixed feeling. Mm-hmm. Last year you could kind of be excited because you only thought it was going to last a couple of months. Right? right? But by summer you're getting a little, I was getting a little bummed out. And sad, and I kind of went in and out, you know. I it's it's all been very very strange. So I I'm hoping I'll have luck with my tomatoes this year.
0: I'm hoping that you but, will. As well. um,
1: but you know, I'm not a super fabulous gardener. I don't make. I never grow enough food to feed others. You know, when we first mm-hmm. started, we built raised beds about ten years ago, and we thought, oh, we'll have so much food we can give it away. We'll be able to dehydrate. No. But we have had enough food that we could eat, right? You know, and that's
0: that's what counts. And
1: that's been good. And I had a really great greens bed this year too, but oh. it's about to it's about to get torn out because torn
0: out. are you going to replant?
1: As, yeah, I'm going to plant tomatoes. Okay. I mean, when I, as soon as I see those yellow cabbage moths, mm-hmm. I know my time is over for anything that has a cat is from the cabbage family. I have some real pretty little, three little stalks of very pretty Brussels sprouts. Oh. And I have some broccoli that's putting out baby broccolis, but they're going to all go pretty soon. And we're going to switch over to to the summertime garden.
0: To so the summertime garden. Okay.
1: So um. I love that. It keeps me focused on something that I do with my hands. And I, that has been, I have said such gratitude for having a little patch of land in the back of my house that I could do things with. Because that's the other thing, you know, constantly during the pandemic, you're thinking, oh, this is great for me, but what's happening to other people? Other
0: people, right. You know,
1: I feel very blessed to have a roof over my head and a patch of land in the backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, someplace Place I can, can be outside. outside. I, my heart breaks for everybody that doesn't have those things. And there's a ton of people that don't have
0: those. That don't have it. And, it's you know, you anything.
1: can only, I mean, it's its a very mixed being an ex-nurse and an ex-Catholic I'm uh I I get laden with guilt very easily
0: (laughs) very easily I understand I understand yes all right so we're going to switch gears a little bit I have a few fun questions which is always good for me it is good for me I'm not sure how exciting it gets for others um so um (laughs) as artists we have our quirks we have our things. um And we simply have our preferences. It's just who we are as artists and writers. So do you prefer writing with a black or blue pen? Black. Mm. (laughs) Mm. I like that, all right. Tell me something that people don't know about you.
1: I was a complete goody-goody girl until I was about 35. I didn't have Mm. much fun. I was very serious and Um, I went through a great transformation at 35 and became crazy and wild.
0: Interesting.
1: In high school, they called me the pseudo hippie Mm. because I dressed like a hippie. And I was such a straight arrow. I never touched anything, alcohol, drugs, or sex. I was just like the good girl. So all the real hippies called me the pseudo hippie. Okay. They would even say, here comes the pseudo hippie.
0: As artists, creatives. There is a project going around called the Living Dictionary Project where people are submitting words. These are real words where they're changing the meanings and some are just um, new words. They're creating new words. So if you had to invent a word. Oh, you are challenging me. girl! It can be anything. If you had to invent a word, what would the word be? and what would it mean?
1: Mm, mm, mm. That's a hard question. I know I've been in a what it is right here. <laughs> okay. okay, well one that just came to my mind is quickle. It's a very mm. fast tickle. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Quickle, a
0: very fast tickle. I like that. <laughs> I do I, I like think that. I invented yeah, a better a word one.
1: sometime in my life but I can't remember what mm-hmm. it, it
0: could be Right exactly it can be that like it
1: just makes you giggle mm-hmm. when you hear a
0: nice it. giggle that's a quickle I like that <laughs> Yes I love it. All right it so did. Okay so for someone who is this is um, actually going to be our last question For someone who is a looking to start sharing their poetry out loud. What is the one thing that you would advise them to do?
1: Read it out loud to yourself a few times. I recently being kind of um slow with technology discovered that if you can record a voice memo on your phone of you reading and listen to it over and over again, you won't get sick of saying it yourself that you'll have a real lot of confidence performing. It. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's one thing and I would say also don't ever apologize before you read your poem. Bring it to bring it to the stage with a sense of confidence whether you have it or not. Pretend mm. you have it and don't apologize and if you if you listen to your work a number of times before you go, you're going to feel much more confident. But don't deny Yourself, expressing yourself and using your voice. Don't tell yourself you're not good enough. Bring it out and share it. Be kind of fearless about it. And you know, I highly recommend Bards and Brews as a place to share your work because it is um, a very accepting and loving atmosphere. I think Voice Porter does a really good job of making every performer feel good. Voice was very important to me in giving me an opportunity to read my poetry at Bards and Brews and to continually offer great support for all the voices of poets in our community. And today I've chosen to read a poem of mine called Elegy. It actually is, takes place in September 1666, but I wanted to write some, to share this for his partner, Deirdre because I think the grief that we experience and the grief that his partner is experiencing is probably beyond what I can understand, but I think the sense of elegy in this poem may touch the heart. Elegy, gone. My lover, partner, helpmate, husband, wise man, beloved papa, dear friend, gone. We had three happy weeks, August, apple harvests. Next, he clinched his belly and turned a cold wash water gray, his skin clammy, breath labored. I tried, but my herbs, my poultices, even my body wrapped naked around his to calm the quaking chills did nothing. He died me holding him oh grieving fields inconsolable sons braying calves and i alone never to feel his warmth never to banter barter in lively debate planning for the land the boy he always listened to my thoughts Considered my opinions, let me choose, like equals. Never again such raptured liberty. He swings me high, showers, dances me. No consolation, no condolence, gone. He fantastic tales made us an island of family. Thank you.
0: Laura Mojo Mama Saccord, ladies and gentlemen. How are you feeling? Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed it. I'm gonna have to get Laura back. Um, Perhaps maybe she'll be back after her book is actually released. But in the meantime, you can find the pre-order link to her book in my bio as well as in the pinned comments of this episode. Um, We ended up being on that call for hours. And when I was editing this, I realized that the recording stopped j- exactly where I ended it. The recording stopped, we stopped the recording right after she finished talking about Voice Porter and how he made people feel welcome and at home at bars and brews. So I felt it was absolutely apropos to go ahead and include the poem she read at the 100,000 Poets for Change dedication that we did at the end of September, um, right after his passing in August. So, yeah, Um yeah, I feel like this. Um, this was a moment for me. This was a moment for me. So yeah, um, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Um, Pretty Wild Podcast. Um, we want to be your friend. Um, and if you want to follow me as well, you can find me on all social platforms, um, as well as um, Twitter. So yeah um again this is pretty wild podcast i am shantika latrice and you you should come back please come back and be my friend until next time peace